Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Mick Stringer at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. This, uh, this message is Saving Love. It's the first in the series of our, our new sermon series called Extravagant Love. It's about the extravagance of God's love, and it's time to fit in beautifully with the way that God demonstrates that in the world by sending his son. And a few weeks ago, Nick asked me whether I would take the first sermon in this new series. The catch was, he said, that the biblical text for this morning had not yet been chosen or the title for the sermon had not yet been chosen. I didn't hesitate to accept the invitation because I said I know exactly what that's going to be, what both of those are going to be. And to do that, though, I need to beg your forgiveness, because this is actually a second-hand sermon. The sermon comes from Africa, actually. It was written in Zimbabwe in July, when I was invited to preach at Seki Baptist Church in Chittanguiza. Chittanguiza is a satellite city, about a half an hour drive south of Harare, Now the interesting thing is that even though this sermon was written in Africa and for an African congregation, the inspiration for it actually came from here, came from this very room. I was sitting here one Sunday morning and God just dropped this idea into me, through his Holy Spirit, into my mind, into my heart, somewhere in me. He just led me to this key thought that I was to preach in Africa. And so when the instant that Nick asked whether I would take this sermon and this was going to be the series title, I knew exactly what it was going to be. That same word would be a word for Mount Pleasant as well. You see, whenever I preach in Africa, I always start by bringing greetings from this church because this is my home church. So I bring greetings from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Perth and that's about to happen right now. Because if this is an African sermon written for an African congregation, we should flip that around, shouldn't we? So I'll bring you greetings from Seki Baptist in, in Zimbabwe. Uh, it would be good for us to pray when we start this message, wouldn't it? And we would pray like I do when I, when I start in Africa because usually what happens is that the, ser- the, the services there line up beautifully with our PM service here. So I'll finish up praying for the pastor who's leading the service on this particular Sunday here at Mount Pleasant. The pastor at Nseki Baptist is Cosmos Rusangundi. So let's pray for Pastor Rusangundi and his congregation this morning as we pray for ourselves. Our Father in heaven, please help us to hear what your spirit is saying to us today, whether we we are here in Perth or whether we are there in Chittanguiza. Speak clearly, Lord, for your people are listening. We long to hear from you. Help us, Lord, to respond to you in faithfulness and obedience. Amen. I'm old enough to have seen a few things in my life. I've seen a lot of changes. And in fact, it has been said that the only constant in life is that things will change. And something else that I've noticed is that there's something wrong in our world. doesn't matter where you look, whether you look here in Australia or whether you look in Zimbabwe, things are not good. 
We all know that things are not what they should be. You see, our lives are filled with hard work. It's a struggle just to survive. And it's a battle to make ends meet. Can you hear the African situation in that? It's a battle to make ends meet. At this time of year, there are plenty of well-meaning folk who for the very best of reasons insist upon filling up all the empty spaces in our calendars. Hands up those who are suffering from calendar overload at the moment. And while we all recognise that, life is busy and life is hard for our friends as well. People get sick, sometimes good friends die. We all know, deep down inside us, we know that things should be better. Yes, we all know that. See, during the trip in July, I was talking with a man in Harare about life in Zimbabwe. I was walking in the city one day and I happened to meet him by chance. We struck up a conversation and it was a great conversation. One of the things he said to me was that there are many things in Zimbabwe that do not work properly. He told me that his life is hard. And we all heard Keith say the same thing last week. When Keith said in the Missions Link Spot report last week that life in Zim at the moment is pretty tough. We need to be praying for that nation. But do not be fooled. Just because you and I live in another place, even a first world place like Australia, doesn't mean that our lives are going to be easy. You see, a number of years ago, a very good friend of mine from Esperance, his name is Wally, he was diagnosed with cancer in February. And I conducted his funeral in May of that year. You see, it was just a bare 10 weeks from the point of diagnosis to the funeral. None of us had any idea just how short his time was left. Now, life is tough for my best friend, Betty, because she's doing life now without a husband. And Pam and I counted it a privilege to walk that pathway of life with her because we love her. Things are not easy, are they? It's not right. And it's sad, but it's a reality. You see, this is the world into which God sent his son. The point is not that things are bad. The point is that God knows that things are bad. I had two conversations between the services, both of which have impacted what I'm going to say in this particular message. One of them was a very dear friend of mine who said that when things get bad, we need to be reminded that God is the one in charge. And the other one reminded me of an African proverb which says that when we pray, we should not pray, God, I have a big problem. We should be praying, problem, I have a big God. Problem, I have a big God. Lisa is going to bring us our Bible reading this morning. Just before she does that, some background to this text. It's in John chapter 3, if you want to open up your Bibles. Jesus is speaking to a man called Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of the Pharisees. And Nicodemus had heard Jesus speak, and he's got a whole series of questions that he wants to ask of Jesus. 
And so in chapter 3, they get into a long conversation about the need to be born again. This particular passage, verses 9 through to 18, comes from the middle of that conversation. Thank you, Lisa. John 3, 9 to 18. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Thank you. In this message, I want to focus on just three small words. They're really small words, but those words encapture really big ideas. And there are also three small words that carry eternal significance. These three small words are found in perhaps the most well-known verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16. In that verse, we've just read, Suzanne's just read it for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, my best friend Betty is holding fast to the promise of God that is in that verse. And no doubt, the man that I spoke with in Harare, he too is doing the same thing. That is, both of them are trusting that whoever believes that Jesus has come from the Father in heaven will not perish, but will have eternal life. That promise of God is important. It's an important promise. And it's a spectacular promise, and it's a promise that changes everything. However, as important as that promise is, it's not my primary focus this morning. We will get there in the end. My primary focus, rather, is to draw your attention to three small words in the first line of that verse. Those words are, for God so loved the world. Now, those of you who are good at mental maths will already know that we've got more than three. But the three you need are God loved world. The first word is God. That's significant, isn't it? Because God comes first. Yes? Yes, God comes first. If you're not sure about that, consider this. The very first line in our Bibles, Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning... God. In the beginning, God. There was none before God. He is the beginning. Actually, he is there before the beginning. But that's another topic altogether and we'll have to do that another time. God is there in the beginning, but importantly, God is also at the end. When we get up to the end of the scriptures, Revelation 21, 20, Jesus says, yes, 
I am coming soon. So the Bible begins with direct reference to God and the Bible ends with the testimony of Jesus that he will return soon. But that's not all. If God is present at the creation of all things in the beginning and if he is soon to return for the consummation of all things at the end, then we shouldn't be hardly surprised to find that God is smack in the middle as well. He is there for the redemption of all things. And that's where our focus is this morning. That's exactly what we find at the start of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, John is speaking about none other than the one who he says is the Word became flesh. So let's be clear about this. God is the start point God is the end point and God is the middle point. In fact, we could say God is the whole point. That's true because the Bible is about what God has done. It's not going to be confused about that. The Bible is not about what the enemy has done. You see, the evil one only has a very minor part to play in the whole of the scriptures when they're taken as the whole. In the same way, We could say that the primary focus of the Bible is not about what human beings have done. It's not about what humans have done because some human beings have done wrong things. Some human beings have done right things. You see, the Bible is not about what the enemy has done. The Bible is not about what human beings have done. The Bible is about what God has done. And it's about what God is doing right now. And the Bible is about what God will do. Now, if what I've said is an accurate summary of the acts of God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it should be clear that the scriptures are about God. And that's precisely what we find in this verse that we're considering this morning. You know, it's been said that John 3.16 is the clearest and the simplest summary of the gospel. But we could also read John 3.16 as the most beautifully succinct statement about what God is doing in the world. And you see, those two things are the same thing. But if that is the case, then we must go on to ask, what is it that God is doing in the world? Our answer could be that God is redeeming those who are his own. Those who have read our scriptures know that that God is redeeming those of us who are his own. But our answer will only make sense if we recognise that there's actually a question sitting behind that question. And that question's got to be, why is God doing what God is doing? That leads us into our second question. Why is God doing what is God doing? When we answer this, we've identified the second of those three small words of eternal significance. The first is God, the second is loved. You see, the verse that we're looking at closely this morning tells us that God acts in the world by loving the world. God's mission, therefore, is to love. We know that's true, not only because John has told us in verse 16 that God so loved the world, But elsewhere, this same apostle wrote quite emphatically that God is love. 
The implications of these two things are both true and they're both true simultaneously. The first thing, God is love. That is why God acts. And the second thing is that God acts in the world by loving the world. Right? Because God is love, he acts in our world. And he acts in our world by loving the world. That means that love is both the reason for why God acts in the world and it is a description of what God is doing in the world. He loved and he loves. In other words, love is both the why and the what of God's work in our world. Put simply, this is what's happening. God is redeeming those who are his. He's saving them by love, through love and for love. So let me say that again. He is redeeming those who are his. He is saving them by love, through love and for love. Now let me ask you, if love is both the why and the what of God's work in our world, do you think for one moment that our work should be any different to that? Remember, Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. What he has started, he expects his followers to continue until the work is brought to completion. Surely we are called to love one another because we were first loved by the Lord. Amen? That brings us to the third small word of internal significance. If God acted to love, then who or what is loved? Perhaps it might help us if we think about this in grammatical terms, those of you who are English teachers. We have three words, God, loved, world. The middle word is the verb. The verb's a doing word, yes? The first word is the subject of the verb. Who does the doing of the doing? And the third word is the object, right? To whom or to what is the doing done? Let me repeat the question. If God acted to love, who or what is loved? John tells us, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It should be clear that John wants us to know that God gave his son for the redemption of all that God created. That includes you and it includes me. Here it's good to remember that to redeem means to buy back or to reclaim. Understanding this verse this way means these three small words come into really sharp focus. You see, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. God's mission, therefore, is to redeem and to restore the whole of creation through the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. You see, God demonstrated his love to the whole world in and through that tiny little baby that was born in a major in Bethlehem. That tiny little baby is the son of God given for each of us. And make no mistake about it, this is the very centre of what saving love is all about. It's actually the complete antithesis of everything that is powerful and everything that is mighty. 
the saviour of the world turns up in a cattle manger, put to bed on straw. This is the very centre of what saving love is all about. God's love is not selfish or boastful. Rather, God's saving love is extravagant in the way it gives to the other. You see, in the eyes of the lover, the beloved was so valued, valued so highly that no price would have been too great. To the contrary, the bridegroom was prepared to pay any price for his bride, including giving his own life. You see, he loved his bride so much. The bridegroom loved the bride so much that the gift of spilled blood on Calvary was given in order that she might be cleansed of every stain and of every blemish. John is saying that in this text this morning. In these three small words, that's what he's saying. He, sees, he just puts it more simply. He says, God so loved the world. God loves so much that he sent his son for you and for me. Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus loves you? I'm not talking about knowing it here. I'm not even talking about knowing it here. I'm talking about knowing it way down here somewhere, in the very depth of your being. Do you know that Jesus loves you? See, this morning we've considered these three small words of eternal significance and these are not just any three words. They're not unimportant words. They're not words without implications for you and for me. Indeed, these three small words have great importance for the whole of creation. And we know that because if we don't say it, then the very rocks themselves will cry out in praise of the Lord. You see, the Spirit of God inspired the Apostle John to write these three small words and I'm convinced that that same Spirit of God is pleased to speak about it, speak to us this morning about these same things. He wants us to know that these things are important, so important, in fact, that they're matters of eternal significance. God so loved the world. This, my friends... It's the good news of the gospel. Have you heard that God loves you? Do you realise that God knows you and knows all of the situations that you face? Every single one of those situations. Problem? I have a big God. God knows your situation. And have you heard that he accepts you just the way you are? But having said that, just because God accepts us the way that we are doesn't mean that he wants us to stay that way. There may be some things in your life that he wants to help you change. If your life is anything like mine, then some attitude adjustment might be required. And perhaps a bit of character modification might also be in order. If you've heard these three small words for the first time, or if you've heard them in a new way, then I invite you to respond to that. Do not ignore God's call. Right? If God is speaking to you this morning, hearken your ears to hear what he's saying. Turn your heart to him, respond to his love and receive that gift of eternal life. Because the promise of God is that 
Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That promise is for each and every one of us here this morning. You don't have to be young. You don't have to be old. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or whether you're poor. The only thing that matters is that you recognize that it's the Spirit of God calling your name and that you turn to him in faithfulness and obedience. If you want to receive the gift of that eternal life, there are a number of pastors present here this morning. All of us are willing to help you, to talk to you about that, to pray with you about that. I would love to pray with you if that's appropriate. So if you're feeling the stirring of the Spirit of God in your heart, don't ignore his prompting. Come, you're welcome. You're more than welcome. Come during the playing of this final song if you want. Uh, Come after the service if you want. Don't leave this place without doing anything about that. As we pray, let's the music team came come. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word this morning to us. We thank you for that word of promise. The promise that when we turn to you, that you are not far away at all. When we turn to you, you are right there beside us. You're waiting for us to come. Heavenly Father, would you continue to speak to us about these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329 Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.